came at a perfect time and yes i was sad the hogs didn't play saturday but we definitely all needed it for our anxiety stress and just overall well-being or i know that was the case for me i don't know about the rest of y'all but after doing mainly walkthroughs this week with the primary folks of the football team on health Pittman expects everyone to be back except for those who are obviously done for the season like catalan ladarius bishop and Turian carter that means slush kari and Jaden are back both Auburn and Arkansas are coming off bye weeks, and the Hawks are to snap a losing streak against the Tigers that dates all the way back to the 2015-2016 season when we beat them in quadruple overtime in Fayetteville. Hawks are going to have to bring it on Saturday because this Auburn team has a coach fighting for his job with nothing to lose, honestly. But I'm sticking to it. 9-3 and three is still very much in the picture. Just got to take it one week at a time. Welcome back to Views from the Hills, episode 10. In this podcast, we provide all information vital to the greatest athletic program in the country, top two, and it ain't two. And that's the truth with some cheese on it. In this podcast, we preview and recap weekly matchups, provide recruiting updates, and any news on professional hogs across whatever sport it is that you may follow. Honestly, it was a nice weekend. Had some people over the house. We watched Ole Miss get dog watched with that weak-ass schedule of theirs. Some solid UFC fights, Texas lost again, A&M lost, and no bitching on Twitter. That was a much-needed reset before the Hogs are back in action. I'd be feeling a lot worse about the back half of our schedule if we didn't win in Provo against BYU. But that win gave this team our confidence and juice back that we need heading into Auburn. I'm not scared of any team. The Hogs face the rest of the season, like I said last week, but we can't look ahead. We got to say each week, one game at a time. Hogs need to stub you on the road badly before three straight tough games at home. What's been the Hogs' main weakness defensively is something that we won't need to be as concerned about for on Saturday or maybe even the rest of the season. What that is, I guess we'll find out. All right, college football week eight. Saw some things happen that I didn't expect to happen, but what sucks is our loss to A&M looks so much worse now than it did before. It was already a bad loss, but it looks so much worse now after they lost South Carolina. I don't know how we lost to them. Like, put that shit in a simulation, and we win 99 times out of 100. Just seemed very, very fluky. I don't know. Jimbo seats damn near on fire at this point. I called it early on. You can't just bring in a bunch of incoming true freshmen in football in the SEC West and expect them to, expect them to dominate immediately. It's never happened, and it won't ever happen. It's a lot different than basketball. A&M, good luck with Jimbo. 
even if you wanted to fire him, you probably won't be able to for a while. His buyout is $80 million right now after this year. Even worse, his buyout doesn't dip below $10 million until the year 2030. I will be 35 years old when that's the case. Oh, my God. Just stress myself out. Talk about a t- deteriorating asset. As of today, A&M just had four freshmen get suspended as they got caught smoking pot in the locker room before the South Carolina game. How stupid can you get? You can smoke pot literally anywhere you want to, but in your own locker room on the road before a game, it's not they're trying to get caught. A&M has lost seven players this week. He's losing the locker room. Jimbo's lost it. I'm, I'm seeing on 24-7 that it's the class of 2022 versus the upperclassmen. There's just a big rift. You know, you got all these kids that got paid a shit ton of money coming here and think they're entitled to everything, and they don't really care if they get in trouble or not because they're getting paid no matter what. What Aggie fans don't understand is how much leverage Jimbo has on them. They brought him in to show him how to win, and, he, and they essentially made him a dictator in order to do so. There's no one in, in the athletic department that will tell him no. If anyone wants to know how to not handle a coaching situation, Texas A&M has got that shit handled. Honestly, Jimbo's the real winner of this entire situation. But as a result of all this, South Carolina's freaking ranked, which angers me so much. I could go on and on about what all Arkansas could do in the SEC West, but that's just a waste of breath and a waste of everyone's time. Next, almost got absolutely dog-walked on Saturday. A nice chunk of change. He's going to be a multi-million dollar mistake. Jackson Dart isn't that great. The run defense is miserable. And outside of the first three scripted drives in Baton Rouge on Saturday, they didn't score another point. LSU was down 17-3 and then went on a 42-3 run to end the game. That's nuts. 42-3? Good Lord. The schedule doesn't get easier for Ole Miss either. They have Bama at home, then come to Fayetteville, then they go to Mississippi State. I see three straight losses. LSU looks good, honestly, but I'm still not scared of them. Jalen Daniels can't really throw the football. He can just scramble. He's very, very dynamic, though. He's accounted for, I think, 11 touchdowns in two weeks. He's a better version of Robbie Ashford at Auburn. So how we do against Ashford can give us an idea of how we'll defend Daniels when LSU comes to town on November 19th. What really sucks, and I think we can all agree on this, is watching Joe Fouché and Greg Brooks Brooks make game-changing plays for LSU. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We miss them a lot. We miss them so damn much. Lastly, Texas lost again, which honestly means they'll probably get put in the new college football playoff rankings this week. From the pocket this time in trouble. Steps up, throws. Open man, easy touchdown. Matt Landers. Five touchdown passes for K.J. Jefferson. All right, previewing the Razorbacks' Saturday matchup on the road against the Auburn Tigers. Just another must-win for the Razorbacks to cap off this three-game road trip. Pittman and crew travel to Auburn, Alabama to take on the three and four Auburn Tigers. Arkansas is a three and a half point favorite on Saturday, which is the first time since 1998 that Arkansas has been favored at Jordan Hare. We've also not beaten Auburn on the road since 2012. This is another 11 a.m. matchup, and honestly, I'm glad we get them at 11 a.m. Auburn showed a lot of promise against Ole Miss, mainly in the second half, but all in all, this team's pretty suspect. They've looked that way the entire season. They got their ass whipped by Penn State, by Georgia, then went to overtime against Mizzou, had to come back and beat San Jose State. Yeah, a fat handing them a fat L on Saturday is going to send old Brian Horson packing. Auburn's always got athletes. I always will. They're not going to be an easy team to put away, but they're pretty one-dimensional offensively and defensively. They have a lot of holes. This team's lost four of the last five and lost three straight in conference. 
It's time to put our foot on their necks and make them remember the day that the Hogs came to town. I honestly took a bye week myself in terms of football prep, so excuse me for the rust. Let's get into it. Tigers are coming off a 34-48 loss to Ole Miss on the road, but they had plenty of chances to get back in that game. Auburn had a lot of success running the football, which seems to be the only way that they're able to move the ball. So hopefully the Razorbacks crowd the box and make Ashford throw the football because that's the only way we're going to be able to beat them. I don't want Tank Bigsby to get loose on us or draw Quest Hunter, but we'll talk about them in a little bit. Auburn's only had two games where their leading rusher ran for over 100 yards. As for the remaining five games in the 2022 season, they haven't had anyone run over 55 yards individually in a game. They claim to have a balanced offense, but they're not sugarcoating it. They run the ball more than anything. Even if it's a design pass play, Ashford's dropping back, looking at the first receiver, and boom, he's taken off. Here's what to look for on Saturday. We've mentioned his name a couple times already, but the Tigers are led by transfer quarterback Robbie Ashford. He's formerly an Oregon Duck. He replaced T.J. Finley after the Penn State game. Has thrown for 1,014 yards on 67 of 140 passing, which is a 48% completion percentage with a QBR of 111, four touchdowns, and five interceptions. He's also been sacked 10 times. Now where he's most dangerous, like what we've touched on, is running the football. They run a lot of RPOs, option plays, design QB runs, and he just scrambles a lot in general. He's ran 74 times for 310 yards and three touchdowns on the season. That's good enough for about four yards per carry. But he's also fumbled eight times this season, which is the second most in college football and he hasn't even started every game this season. As a team, they only have five passing touchdowns to ten interceptions. Losing Bo Nix hurt them a lot more than they thought it would. It's pretty clear where their success comes from, and it's not by throwing the football. Ashford's completion rate is currently the worst for an Auburn quarterback, for an Auburn, Auburn starting quarterback in a season since 1998, and his QBR of 111, like we just touched on, is the worst since Kyle Frazier in 2012. Shout out Shallow Christian. And we mentioned their names earlier, but Tank Bigsby and Jarquez, Jarquez Hunter are their two running backs. They mainly just, the offense mainly goes through those three, Ashford, Bigsby, and Hunter. Arkansas, Arkansas seen plenty of both running backs. Bigsby was having a down year until the Ole Miss game. He was only averaging about two yards per carry heading into that game until he had a breakout game. Now he averages about 5.3 yards per carry. He's run 99 times for 524 yards on the season and six tutties. Jarquez has run 49 times for 239 yards and four touchdowns. That's good enough for right at or under five yards of carry. Both these guys are who Ashford's going to try to get the football to, even if it's in the passing game. So... Either Ashford, Bigsby, or Hunter is going to have the football probably 75 to 8% of the time. Honestly, Arkansas, us Arkansas fans should see the best version of our defense that we have left. All right, sorry, my recording got cut off somehow, and I think I was talking about Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter. So getting back into it, I was talking about both guys' stats. Bigsby's run 99 times, 524 yards, and six tutties. Hunter has run for 49 times. 240 yards and four touchdowns. Arkansas should see the best version of our defense that we have left. This also goes for the fans. It's a simple offensive scheme for load the box, put a spy on Ashford, make him throw the football. He hasn't proved that he can confidently throw the football yet, and we we need to take advantage of that. Receiving-wise, Auburn's nothing special because they really don't have a whole lot of success throwing the football. Outside of using Jarquez Hunter and Bigsby in the passing game, Here's, here are the main three targets to look for on Saturday. 
The first is Javarius Johnson. He's got 19 catches, 335 yards, and one touchdown on the season. He's been pretty quiet over the last month, but he's their deep ball threat. He averages about 18 yards per catch. They mainly look to throw to him across the middle, right at the sticks, or past the safeties. He's probably going to be covered by Nudie, just man on man. He's he, he had a deep touchdown against the Hogs last year. Corey Moore, 12 catches, 215 yards, and no touchdowns. He's a big, bigger body receiver, 6'1", 210. Similar to Javarius Johnson, he's been quiet but has a yards per catch average of 18. So they'll probably utilize him down the field. Next is their tight end. His name is John Samuel Schenker. He's got 18 catches, 184 yards, and one touchdown. He's 6'4", 250 pounds. It's going to be someone they use in the red zone, RPOs, and naked schemes. Where Harson likes to use him best is lining up as an H-back, either right behind the left tackle or the right tackle, depending on what side of the hash they're on. They'll run an RPO where Ashford will Dunsa Hutt gets the ball, he sticks it in Bigsby's stomach, reads the D-end, and Schenker will be disguised as a pulling blocker to block the D-end that Ashford is reading. Then Schenker will sprint to the sideline about 45 yards past the line of scrimmage, and Ashford will throw him the football. Arkansas runs this at times with Trey Knox, but we really used to run it with Blake Kern. I personally hate the play. It goes for tops four yards. Well, I've never, ever done this, and I almost forgot to do it because I got harped on it way too much by Aaron Rosenthal, but we're going to preview Auburn's kicker if anyone cares. Auburn's got another Carlson kicking, and I swear to God, good and everything holy, if your last name isn't Carlson, you're not allowed to kick at the University of Auburn. Carlson's 18 of 18 on extra points this season. He's 8 of 10 on field goals with both misses coming from the 40 to 49-yard range, his longest is 45 on the season. Like I said, this receiving group is nothing special and isn't relied upon a ton but we still can't fall asleep on them. They're extremely athletic receivers. they got big playability. But to combat that, all of their leading wide receivers' best games came about a month ago. They haven't really done a whole lot in the past month. They've been on a bit of a rough stretch offensively with most success coming from their ground game like we've talked about. Now, this offensive line group is hit or miss. They'll be very physical in the run game, but they really do struggle in pass pro. This will be a great time for our front seven to finally get their head out of their ass and get after the quarterback while keeping – a little bit of containment. Ashford's slippery, so we need to have a spy on him and one capable of keeping him in front of us because we all saw what happened when Bumper Pool tried to be a spy against Alabama. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about that anymore. I guess Pooh Paul or Drew Sanders is going to be a spy. Probably Pooh Paul because we'll use Drew Sanders versus the quarterback. Regardless, D-line's got to get back to their ways. Disrupting offenses, getting penetration, disrupting run games. And just our defense as a whole benefits from that. This offense is already scattered. Auburn's offense is already scattered. Let's make it harder for them than they already make it for themselves. Now, defensively, we're going to have a lot of success. This is going to be similar to the BYU game in terms of how well our offense should do against this Auburn defense. Ole Miss rushing attack is pretty good, but it's not near as good as ours in my opinion. And they ran for 448 yards on Auburn and only threw the ball twice in the second half. Auburn gives up over 200 yards rushing, over 190 yards passing, and allows more rushing yards in in the conference than any other team in the SEC. They've also allowed 743 rushing yards over their last two games. If we protect KJ, I'm not really worried about this defense at all. I believe we're going to score points on this bunch and score a lot of them. After the win in Provo, I'm very, very confident in this team moving forward. If it comes down to a shootout, we have the better offense. I also believe we're going to for- force a turnover or two. 
against Auburn, and once we do, we have to capitalize on them like we did against BYU, or else we're going to keep Auburn in this game instead of them keeping themselves in it. I know Arkansas, or excuse me, we all know Arkansas's passing defense is absolutely abysmal, which was displayed in the Missouri State game, partially in the A&M game against Bama, especially against Mississippi State, and especially against BYU. But all those teams have quarterbacks who primarily throw the football and don't really look to run, or they're just experienced throws of the football in general. And those guys have badly exposed us. I'm not trying to look ahead because I don't like to do that. But if you look at the quarterbacks Arkansas is going to face on the back half of our schedule, none of them passing-wise compared to the quarterbacks we faced before the bye week. I say this to point out that outside of Ole Miss, we don't play a ton of passing teams, primary passing teams, meaning that our front seven is really going to be the the part of our defense is going to be tested, and they're going to have to step up big time. If they do, and alter rushing attacks and keep the game in balance to where we don't just get completely gashed on the ground, we're going to make these inexperienced and running quarterbacks throw, and hopefully our secondary can make some plays on the football. All in all, Auburn's not a good football team, in my opinion. They really aren't. They're reeling, and we need to take advantage of it. They also had a bye this week, but their coach is on the hot seat. They've lost three straight. Derek Hall, their DM, was talking about how guys are, in quotes, losing focus during the game. And we excel at what they cannot defend. Hogs need this W Saturday badly. Get some stops, move the football, and capitalize. And we ourselves will walk Carson out of the door ourselves. Men's hoops, Arkansas against D2, Rogers State, Nick Smith Jr. to Anthony Black. Hey, get on the must bus. Razorbacks in Elite Eight team last year. They may be better this season. Hello? Yes. Hello, officer. Where am I located? Yes, I'm at Bud Walton Arena. Yes, sir. I'd like to report a murder. Yes. Yes. A murder. M-U-R-D-E-R. Murder. I believe it was Anthony Black who committed it. It was a Roger State player. Yeah, no, his description, you can't really miss him. He's about 6'7". His hair makes him about 7'2". He's got really, really nappy hair. No, I don't have a body bag. AB already put him in it. Yeah, no, if, you, if you'd like to look at the murder, just go ahead and look on SportsCenter Top 10. Yeah, fellas, it's been one game in Bud Walton Arena, and AB's already on SC Top 10. Good Lord, I'm excited for this season. Must bust and the boys were back in action at Bud Walton Arena last night. Cruising past Roger State, 83-49. And it's going to be our only home dress rehearsal for the Razorbacks for our season opener on November 7th. If you're someone that took the Hogs minus 29.5, I know y'all were sweating at the end of that one. But the boys covered. Screw the W. Boys covered. It's all that matters. And somehow... First exhibition game of the year. Didn't even take a half for Mustard to get his first technical of the season. But you know what? I support our king, and the ref probably did get the call wrong. But shout out to that boy Pinto. Buddy was live streaming the game from the lower bowl and gave us play-by-play commentary. You a real one. Probably going to need you this Saturday, and we go to Texas as well because the Longhorn Network doesn't want to advertise it. Probably because they don't want to see that ass whooped. Arkansas never trailed last night. We were leading by 17 at halftime, which grew into a 36-point lead in the second half, fueled by some big-time highlight plays. There's absolutely no question the talent in the room for Arkansas, 
and Musselman has challenged his team to play to their capabilities on a more consistent basis. He said in the postgame presser, end quote, I think we've got to play up to our talent level, Musselman said. I don't think we do every day in practice. But I think every team in the country does. But I don't think every team in the country does either. I think there's very few that do. We've had some phenomenal practice, and we've had some practices where I've been really frustrated. But but again, I think, as Coach Smart says, it's the youngest team you've ever coached in your life. So deal with it, kinda. And he's right. In quote. Here's some of my positive takeaways from Monday's contest and other notes I gathered from watching the game, highlights, and researching. Starting five last night, three Burger Boys, NSJ, Walsh, and AB, sleeper NBA prospect, and Travion Brazil, and an all-pack 12 center in Jalen Graham. Talk about talent. This, by any means, isn't going to be the same starting five for the rest of the season because Musk doesn't solidify that until about January. But this group of five right here is the definition of adversity. The shortest height in that lineup is 6'5", and it's Nick Smith Jr. That's nuts. Devo and Ricky were the first two subs for A.B. and uh, Jordan Walsh before the first media timeout. Next guy up was Kamani, just over seven minutes into the game, which may indicate where the top eight guys rotational-wise were going into the game last night at least. I know that will probably or that probably is subject to change. I know they're a D2 team, but Arkansas played very well defensively. Held Roger State to under 50 points on the night. 30% shooting, 25% from three, forced 13 turnovers, and only allowed five assists. Also forced a couple shot clock violations. Our length and versatility really gave them fits due to our ability to be aggressive, switch a lot of offensive actions, which I hope is the case the rest of the season. I know we've had athletic teams in the past with Qualls, Barford, Corey Williams, Daryl, guys like that, but Teams like that only have one to at, at least one and at most three guys that could really, you know, body folks and live above the rim. Well, this entire Arkansas team's got bunnies, and we put them on full display last night. It was a party above the rim last night, and only the Hogs were invited. Brazil had a nasty flush off a lot from A.B. Makai dropped the hammer on a fast break. Nishmith Jr. came out of nowhere for a putback slam. Jalen Graham put someone on a poster off a spin move, and A.B. And a. killed a guy off a lob. On top of that, we also blocked eight shots. Musselman said, in quotes, we do one-minute live stations every day. We do a good job of basket cutting. I thought last year we had some guys that were really good at cutting corners and 45-degree ankle cutters. That's something we talked about. I think we have the potential to be a good running team as well, as long as we can do a little bit better job of taking care of the basketball, in quote. Another great takeaway was our assist rate, which means things are only coming along great in the turnover department. Another positive for such a young team. We had 21 assists on 28 field goals and made 186 passes on the night, which is a solid number overall, and especially during a preseason game. Personally, one of my main concerns with young ball handlers that are highly touted offensive players is the ball tends to stick with those guys instead of constantly moving side to side of the floor. Just overall isn't being moved constantly, but the ball was moving last night and the boys are sharing it pretty well. Hogs won the rebounding battle 44-22. to and we won points in the paint, 42-14. to 14. It's going to be something we got to hang our hat on this season. It's controlling the glass, paint touches, points in the paint, drawing fouls, etc. We damn near shot 60% from the field as a team and improved from our three-point shooting in the red-white game. We shot seven for 18, which is good for about 39%. What I like most about our shooting performance is that our shot selection was 
We we took high we took high quality looks. We didn't force shots, shot the ball or shot the three ball efficiently at a at a moderate volume, I'd say. But everyone on the roster played last night as well. All fifteen guys and all thirteen scholarship guys. Now for some of the not so good takeaways. There's gonna be not so good takeaways from every game, so just get ready for it. Getting to the charity stripe is a staple for any Eric Musselman team at Arkansas, and we did a great job of that last night. We got I think we got to the foul line 37 times. Yeah, 37 times. What sucked about it is that we were 20 for 37. Comes out to about 54%. That shit ain't going to cut it. We left at least 10 points on the board. Nine hogs attempted at least one free throw, and Barry Dunning was the only perfect one on the night, who, and he was two for two. Free throws are the easiest skill set to work on, though, and I believe we'll get it fixed. Musselman said that Arkansas has a goal of nine or less turnovers per game. So turning it over 16 times to a Division II, Division II school is not ideal in the slightest. 11 of those turnovers came in the first half, but only five in the second half, which is a good sign. We were able to clean it up a little bit, and we cleaned it up relatively quickly. Roger State wasn't speeding us up, and majority of our turnovers were just self-inflicted, should correct themselves over the course of the season and in practice, and just the guys getting better chemistry together the, the more they play together. And by the self-inflicted turnovers, I mainly mean by we went too many home run, we went for too many home run plays, or forced passes that weren't there. And yes, this is the exhibition game, and it's our first one this season. I expected these types of turnovers to happen, and especially with such young guys in their first collegiate game. I do think we'll get them cleaned up. We're going to have to get them cleaned up, but we just have to understand the value of the basketball, understand the value of more possessions, because I don't think pressure is going to bother this team really. But back to our defense. We got to clean up rotations um, and rotations and knowing where to rotate when the ball's swung from one side of the floor to the other, pick and roll actions. It just comes to experience and preparation. It wasn't bad last night, but when we play better teams that execute a lot better offensively and can reverse the ball multiple times in a possession, we have to know where to be on our rotations. And same with the pick and roll and pick and pop scenarios. We, we had some miscommunications on screens late rotations that good teams are going to make you pay for. And kind of like the self-inflicted turnovers. These don't concern me a ton, though, because I expect I expect this early on in the season from such a young team. I know we're going to clean this up in practice because I know every coach works on pick-and-roll defense for at least 30 minutes in each practice. And Musselman seems to do great with pick-and-roll defense. We never really struggled against it in the past. Now we have the ability to do a lot more in pick-and-roll situations defensively where we can make the offense uncomfortable, like trapping, double-teaming, just different things like that. Lastly, for the not-so-good takeaways, we last year the term was floated around spurtability, stupidest word ever, but we showed some of that last night. We, we, put on a run, we put on a run in a hurry, boom, 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 there you go, we got 10 points on the board, but then things will cool off and there were times that things got stagnant we weren't able to generate a ton offensively especially in the half court when Nick Smith Jr. went on the floor all in all like I've said these are expected in the preseason they're just some areas that the Razorbacks will look to improve on moving forward lastly or the last little bit of the Roger State recap I'm going to go through each um, player and some clip player notes AB like I said last week better enjoy this guy while we can because he won't be here long Dude's special on both ends of the four. I know a stat line doesn't tell the story, but his size and length of the one was on full display. He's got crazy potential on the defensive end. 
quick instincts, quick hands. Had a couple steals last night and a boy, or excuse me, had a great block recovering from being back cut. Passing is elite, lobs are on target, always under control and poised. His posterization of that Roger State defender was flat out disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, having a 6'7 point guard is pretty nice. He's always going to be uber aggressively getting his looks offensively, which is a good thing, but we touched on it last week. He's got the entire skill set offensively, and he showed last night he can get his three off pretty quickly off the bounce. Jalen Graham continued to play well and built off his performance from the red-white game. His footwork goes crazy. He's easily one of the more versatile bigs we've had under Muss and maybe the most versatile ever under Muss. I don't know. That argument can be made later. His best play of the night came when he got the ball in the low post, faced up, jab, one dribble, spun, or took one dribble to the middle of the paint, spun back, spun off his defender and flushed it on him with the foul. He's got great rim run ability, and he looked pretty comfortable when he did dribble, and he also took his man out to dribble one time. He's a very underrated passer. I think not a lot of people are going to notice that, but he's a great passer. He's great passing out of the high post, out of the low post, and and similar to how we touched on it last week, he's got to be more aggressive on the glass. He needs to show that toughness defensively, and we haven't really seen that yet, but he's shaping it pretty nicely. Jordan Walsh looked a lot better last night than the red-white scrimmage, but he's still flat-out raw, and he's got a lot, a lot of things to work on. The motor and energy is there defensively on the glass. He's, and on the glass as well, he's got a great motor. He had some nice deflections, hit a three, moved well without the ball. He shoots a three ball pretty confidently. He can improve on driving himself into no man's land, but overall, I'm happy with the improvement. Devo, I know he didn't play in the red-white scrimmage because of a minor, in quotes, knee injury, but I'm curious as to how much that minor knee injury is bothering him because what he showed defensively last night, he didn't look 100%. Yeah, he seems to get healthy because we're going to need him badly. Joseph Pinion, I think he all took us by surprise last night. Gordon Hayward was in the building last night, and he got Musselman's attention, you know, along with most, most Hog fans too. Dude checked in, his first touch was onions, and he did what he did best. He shot the rock, led the team with 15 points and only 14 minutes of action, and was four for six from deep. Defense will determine his role and if he can crack the rotation. But he had some great on-ball sequences where he forced a shot clock violation and later came up with a steal. He looks a lot more comfortable handling it, and he got himself open pretty well moving off the ball. Solid performance from the shooter. And Musselman said last night they ran more plays for him when he was on the floor than they did for anybody else when they were on the floor. Barry Dunning, pretty quiet game overall. Looked out of control in the first half, but he settled in. Still got a lot to show us. Makai Mitchell, for only playing seven minutes, I thought he looked pretty damn good. As soon as he subbed in, he got off into board, blocked a shot, had a paint score. And defensively, he was pretty disruptive, showed his versatility, being able to guard the perimeter. He had a clear impact on the game. And he really needs to learn the playbook because he can really help this team if he figures it all out on a consistent basis. Ricky Council <clears throat> kind of struggled, similar to the red-white game, didn't see a whole lot of improvement. He forced some things early. Uh, with a contested shot and a pass that really wasn't there. Missed some free throws and overall just looked out of sorts. But it's preseason. Plenty of time for him to figure things out because we're going to need him as well. Kamani, six minutes of action, zero rebounds. He's just he, he's he's the bench guy. I'm just kidding. He, we're going to need him a lot this year. But a solid M1, three for six from the foul line. He picked up two fouls, and he's got to improve 
on playing better, sound defense and not picking up fouls because this is going to impact his minutes on the season. Mikel Mitchell didn't play a ton to get a good gauge on him, but he, similar to his brother, played seven minutes, had four boards, two assists. He did a he did have a rim run where it would have been an M one the first half, but it was a pretty crappy call by the refs. Led to Musk getting teed up, but don't matter. Coach got his back. Lastly, Darian Ford. Yeah, he's got he's got a lot of growing to do. The strength and physical attributes are there, but he needs to find a balance between being a bowling ball and playing at the rim. Doesn't have a whole lot of control. Can't question his toughness, and he didn't look that bad playing the one late in the game, but the game's a little fast for him right now. He needs a lot of – he just has a lot of developing to do. All in all, I feel like I've said a million times, his first preseason game of the year, the boys look great. No need to overreact to anything at all. But this Saturday we're going to get tested against the Texas Longhorns in Austin. Ron Holland will be in attendance. It'll be a tough matchup for us, and we'll it, it'll give these youngins a, a taste of real talent. I'm excited to watch them play and see where They'll get a carry here. Big hole, pass midfield. He's got the speed to go the distance. Inside the 20, inside the 10, and it's a touchdown for Sanders. They've been waiting for this. It's a simple counterplay. Let's pull the backside guard, Bo Limmer, and let's bring the tight end, get him out in front. 82 Hudson Henry. It's so well blocked, and you see the burst through the hole, running to daylight. You're not going to catch number five. All right, back to football. Keys to victory for Saturday against Auburn. Similar to BYU, our first key to victory is limit the quarterback. It's going to be the most athletic quarterback we faced all season and one who prefers running over throwing. Robbie Ashford's second on the team in rushing yards, touchdowns, and has been their leading rusher in three of the last five games. In every game outside the LSU game, we've seen that he isn't the most effective or accurate passer, point blank and simple. And with added pressure, he really refuses to throw. He's just going to take off and run. Or he's going to sling it in a double coverage. He loves to stretch plays and will hurt you with his legs, but keeping him contained and making him beat us through the air is what we're going to have to hang our hat on this week to make him uncomfortable. Whether it's all-out blitz, bringing five with a spy, or man across the board, I don't care. Make Ashford uncomfortable, take away his ability to scramble, make him throw the football, and his production is going to be limited. Next, win the line of scrimmage. This is the worst offense we've faced this season by far, and like we touched on earlier, their only real ability to move the football is via their run game. When Auburn controls the line of scrimmage, they have the, they have the ability to run on anyone. They were running the ball on Georgia in the first half until Georgia made adjustments. This is the perfect game for the Hog front seven to step up, disrupt the Auburn rushing attack, force long second downs, long third downs, make Ashford throw the football, take away or limit their rushing attack, and this offense is going to stall out really, really fast. Lastly, keep the momentum rolling offensively. KJ made a statement in Provo along with the rest of the team. Auburn's going to sell it on the run and give KJ every opportunity to have another big passing performance, and I hope to God they do. He's going to swing 400 yards and about four tutties on their ass. KB opened up the playbook against BYU and left that defense guessing. He's going to have to do the same Saturday. Once again, keep the defense guessing with deep strikes and screens to, com- to combat their over-pursuit of KJ and our rushing attack. We are the better football team on both sides of the football. Wind it up, win your matchup Saturday, and the points will take care of the rest.
All right, this is a new segment we're going to do this week, and we're probably going to continue. It's called Mailbag Questions. I put out a poll on my Instagram on Monday. Yeah, Monday morning, I believe. Had whoever wanted to ask a question, ask it, and I will cover it in the pod this week. So we're going to, we're going to go through each and every single one. And I believe we have about eight questions here. All right, first one, top three things a non-sporty girl should know about football. One, know who the quarterback and head coach are. Two, know what NFL red zone is in general. You would, you're going to be looked upon as an angel. Three, understand that us men become either the worst or best versions of ourselves during football games. And by God, the Hogs lose. Don't talk to us, Hordy. Second, second question, how to be a supportive, supportive wife or girlfriend when the Hogs lose? Um... Honestly, just let us bitch and moan. The first hour or two after a loss is probably the worst possible time to be around us and absolutely not the time to ask about anything with regards to shopping. Yeah, d- d- big, uh-uh, big no-no. woo red flag, no-no. Mm-mm. That steam will blow, the steam will blow off at some point, but it might be best just to leave us be for about 60 minutes. Let us fight our fight on Twitter. Let us bitch and moan in our group meetings. Kind of leave us be. Third question, athlete with the coolest hairstyle, it's easy, Anthony Black, certified nappy boy. Four, athlete with the coolest tattoo. I'm not sure who has the coolest tattoo, but if they got anything with regards to the 501, I'm about it. But you know what I hear? Those whoopik suey tattoos, WPS ones, those are what the kids really like nowadays. Y'all know anyone who's got one? All right, the next one is kill, do, or marry with Must Pitt and Dave Van Horn. (laughs) I don't know if I want to answer that question. Oh, boy, that could get me canceled. Um, next, will the Hogs be in Houston next year? The ability's there. It, it really, I really do think the ability is there to go to Houston. We've come up short two years in a row, and it absolutely sucks. But we we have all the capability to do it. I think it comes down to how consistently we can shoot from three, our free throw percentage, who steps up as our closers in late-game situations, and how this team handles adversity. But this is the best team talent-wise we ha- we've had and Muss's tenure at Arkansas in the past two teams obviously went to the Elite Eight. So I do think we make it to the Final Four. Next, what challenges do you feel this young slash star-studded team will face to start the season? Great question. It can honestly be a few things. I'm going to go over them here. I type these out. First, players who aren't involved early in the season, um, the rotation can can get frustrated, especially if they're highly tied recruits or transfers knowing that they wanted to come to this school to contribute immediately. But Musk knows best. Secondly, we play some tough competition to start the season. And say, worst-case scenario, there's a bad loss or something didn't go right, I hope that, I really hope there's not a rift among the players or their confidence is hurt because we all know how Hog fans overreact on social media. Kids see that shit. And it very well can affect how they play and just how they view. But... We have a lot of young guards, and an early concern is that if the Hogs are on the road, you know, say there's a situation where momentum's against us, other teams got a couple buckets, we turn it over, you know, which which young guard is going to help us keep our poise, slow us down, keep our composure, get us an offense, help control the tempo of the game when things aren't going right? Because you see teams with young guards run to that issue at times each college basketball season. But to combat that, I believe that guy for us is going to be Anthony Black. I think we can all agree on that. <clears throat> Lastly, learning to control the turnover battle 
and play our hectic defense without getting in early foul trouble. There was a lot of fouls called last night, 70 feet away from the basket or trying to force a pass that's not there. It's just small things like that. That's a good question, though. Shout out, Lyles. All right, next, want me to uh, want me to talk about TCU. Robbie, shout out to my boy Rob. Get married Saturday. Congrats, brother. But if you want me to talk about TCU, then you've come to the wrong place, my guy. That program's got the last name Morris associated with it. I don't want any part of it. You shouldn't want any part of it. Just don't let just don't let Chad and your clown Morris get too involved with it or should go south real quick. Who was the dude who was the dude in college I couldn't guard? Yeah, Joe, you're funny. You're delusional. You know I kept straps on you. Especially in intramurals, my guy. I had you in a phone booth. All right, next. How many players do you think Arkansas will lose to the NBA draft next year? Well, we all know the obvious Nick Smith Jr., A B and Walsh. However, I can also see us losing those three and Trayvon Brazil and Ricky Council to the draft and maybe Jalen Graham, depending on the season he has, but we'll see. Regardless, that would be more players in one draft, five, than we've had drafted, I believe, in the last six years. Maybe longer, I don't know. Will the Dirty Stirrup secure our fifth title this season? This episode is being recorded right before the fall postseason tournament. I believe we can keep the dynasty rolling. If the bats stay hot, we can drop 30 on anyone. We are the slow-pitch softball's version of the scorched earth offense. How many players do you think Musk uses in his rotation this year and what players? Musk has got more to work with this year than he ever has, and he can use that to his advantage depending on what matchup we are facing, which is a good thing. Normally, he runs about an eight- to nine-man rotation, but this year I could see him running anywhere from a nine-man rotation to an 11-man rotation or, or a seven-man to a 10-man depending on the situation. A rotation is probably going to consist of NSJ, AB, Brazil, Walsh, Jalen Graham, Devo, Kamani, the Mitchell Twins, Dunning, and possibly Pinion. The only guy I really don't see getting much action is Darian Ford, unfortunately. But I could be wrong. But just based off what I've seen and read, it's not looking good for him this season. And some people probably question why Pinion's on the slip, but, he, but he's a late add because Pinion can flat out shoot the hell out of the ball. Like we said, checked in last night. First first touch of the game was cash. Let all scores, 4-6 from 3. Only question mark is his defense. And if he figures that out, he is 100% going to be a part of the rotation because he's because of his ability to consistently knock down threes or pose a threat to. Last question for the mailbag questions. Why does Simeon Blair continue to start? Does he have dirt on Barry Odom? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, I completely understand this question, and we're all thinking the same thing, Painter. Yeah, you know, we all think, why, why the hell is 15 on the field still after he just constantly gets torched, constantly misses miss tackles, and when they don't catch the ball on him, it's normally a P.I. But honestly, it's just because of the injuries and that we don't have the added personnel to play anybody else because I think if we did, if we did have the extra personnel, he wouldn't be on the field. And I think the only reason he's got a stain on his chest is because he's Probably the biggest vocal leader on the defensive side of the ball. And that's big. He's He's got the voice of Grant Morgan. Doesn't have the production like him. But the dude's been a backup his whole career for a reason. There's a reason why we never saw him in 2021. Because Cat was healthy for that whole season. Hell, even last year when we saw Simeon after Catalan was hurt. But everyone agrees that he wouldn't be seeing the light of day this year if Fouché was here. and He shouldn't be seeing it at all in general. But... We should have nobody else to put there. That wraps it up for this week's episode 
of views from the hill. Once again, I appreciate all the love and support you guys have shown the episode. We're closing in on 1,000 listens. When y'all listen to the episode, if you go go over to Spotify and leave a solid review, I would really appreciate that. But I really do think the Hawks can, can get it done this Saturday, and we need to get it done. Auburn's just not near as good of a football team as us on either side of the ball. So we don't need to make life hard on us. We need to go in there, do our job, kick their ass, get out of there, and walk Harson's ass out as well. Hopefully next time I see y'all, Hogs are 5-3, and three, coming back home to play the Liberty Flames.